The following podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not to be considered as legal advice and does not contain an attorney-client relationship. If you need legal advice, contact a licensed attorney in your state. Enjoy the show. person talk about the law. I'm Catherine. I'm the real person here. I'm Stacy Krauss. I'm one of the non-real lawyers. Non-real lawyers? <laughs> I, think you I thought that was funny. <laughs> it was funny. I liked it. <laughs> I think Courtney just is like, what the f- just happened? Because <laughs> it sounds like you're saying you're not a real lawyer and I that just yeah. Oh, I me. see. I see. I was trying to play on the, the real thing and, and we're lawyers so we're not real people. You said um, a non I won't, I won't be funny again. I'll just do something normal. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to say that that's our intro. That's Courtney Daly, by the way. She's the other lawyer. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This week, folks, we are talking about sort of the other side of the story from what we normally focus on. This week, we're talking about prosecutors. What is a prosecutor? What do they do? Since apparently trial is not the only thing that happens in a court, what do they do when they're not standing in front of a jury arguing? Um, I don't know any of the answers to that question. So why don't we start with a little disclaimer first? Stacey, do you want to go ahead? I don't know if it's a disclaimer so much as it's just informational, like to kind of give perspective on this episode. Um, and it's just a reminder because I know anyone who's listened to my earlier episodes know that I, I was a prosecutor. Um, I didn't do it for a long time. I'm a, definitely a defense attorney at heart, but as a prosecutor, I was trained. I went to a lot of prosecutorial trainings, and so I understand the role and the job of the prosecutor and how important it can be and how important it is to take your role as a prosecutor seriously. Um, so my some of the stuff that I know maybe wouldn't be common knowledge to people in, in even the profession because I do have a little bit of an insider's perspective. Yeah. It feels a little bit like a disclaimer to me, but, you know, also the sort of background <laughs> information. Sure. All right. So with that information in mind, does someone want to explain to me what a prosecutor is and what they do? I'm not sure. Like, I'm like I'm a little bit sure, but I'm also pretty sure that I'm wrong because I tend to be. So what's up? Well, I mean, I think law and order gets this part right, right? <laughs> like a prosecutor's oh, job cool. is to prosecute people for offenses against the state. You know, and the state is the injured party, right? Like it's not even in cases with victims, they're called complainants. They are not who the state is representing. The prosecutors are not representing those individuals in cases. They're representing the state because anytime a person commits any crime, they're injuring the state. Now, there may be secondary parties injured and there usually are in cases involving victims, but The injury is primarily to the state, and that's where they get their authority from, is from the state, or in the case of federal prosecutors, it would be the United States government that is injured. Huh. Okay. That's why when you see, like, the name of a case, it's the state of Texas versus so-and-so, or the United States versus so-and-so. Or in other uh, other states, it'll be, like, the people versus O.J. Simpson. That's how they call it in California. So it's, like, it's not naming a specific person like they would in, like, a civil lawsuit. In criminal, it's, like Stacey said, against the state or against the country. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, so that's that's primarily their responsibility is they get evidence of crime 
usually that comes from the police officers, but sometimes they investigate crimes on their own, especially when they're investigating police officers or police departments themselves. Or there's other kinds of crime where most of the investigation is done by the prosecutor's office. But they get evidence of a crime and they determine whether or not they should charge somebody with it. And if they decide that they're going to charge somebody with it, which is usually not a complicated decision, if they have evidence of a crime, they charge somebody with it. But that's where their job starts is with the determination as to whether or not to charge somebody with a crime after they've received some kind of evidence that a crime has been committed. And it ends when, you know, everything is done in the case and they it can end at trial. It can end with a dismissal. It can end on an appeal. Prosecutors handle appeals as well between our high court, you know, at our high courts. So a prosecutor's job, once they've decided to charge someone with a crime doesn't end until the case is completely disposed of. Okay. Sure. That makes sense. Like, like they, they are the representatives of the interest of the government in whatever crime or case is happening. Is that fair? Right. Yeah. Okay. I understand. <laughs> Do you though? No, I, you know, I don't know. I'm sure if you keep explaining, I'm going to come across something that I'm like, mm, never mind. I didn't understand. But I, I'll tell you at that point. Okay. You know, this seems pretty straightforward. So a lot of what I'm going to talk about regarding prosecutors is going to be about what Catherine and I are experienced with. And we are experienced with prosecutors at the state level. What, Catherine and you? I mean, Do you Courtney. Mean Courtney? I'm, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. Scratch that. I don't know why I said that. I think because I was looking at your name. <laughs> Because I'm the only name that you can You're the only name right on there. So scratch that. I'm sorry. Where was I? Um, you know, so what a lot of what Courtney and I are going to talk about is the stuff we have experience with, which is prosecutors at the state level. We are, you know, we can touch on prosecutors at the federal level. A lot of the things we'll discuss apply to them as well. A prosecutor is a prosecutor is a prosecutor in general. There's not a lot of difference between what their job requires of them and what they do with the job at all the different levels, because there's also prosecutors in the county attorney's office that handle your class C tickets, your traffic tickets. And those are the minor, minor offenses in the state of Texas. And then there are prosecutors at, you know, even the DPS has prosecutors prosecuting license revocations, right? So there's prosecutors in different, in different offices, but they all pretty much do the same thing. They, they receive evidence of something bad and they do their own research and figure out if the case warrants prosecution, essentially. Are there, are there prosecutors at the Supreme Court level? Um, there are people who represent the U.S. government at the Supreme Court level. Which are so, still like the federal prosecutors. Right. They still work for the, the United States attorney. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Right. So if a, case gets a, if a case is criminal in nature and the United States government is, is one of the parties, then that pro- a prosecutor for the United States government, which actually would be probably with the um, Department of Justice, you know, under right now our, is bar, right, would mm-hmm. be the person representing the government's interests before the Supreme Court. And then if it's a state case where it's a state versus somebody, a top prosecutor from that state will be the one representing the state's interests. And a lot of times that is the attorney general of that state. Got it. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. With you so far. Okay. (laughs) So yes, at all levels where there's criminal activity, there are prosecutors. But a lot of what we are going to talk about and apply specifically is how Texas is and specifically how Bear County is with their prosecutorial systems. 
Every county has a district attorney who's elected. You also have a county attorney for your, like I said, your lesser crimes. The county attorney does a lot of other things too. There's a lot of civil stuff that the county attorney does, but they're responsible for your class C misdemeanors, traffic tickets, and that sort of thing. Um, I'm sorry, your city attorneys. I'm sorry. Scratch that. Not county attorney. County attorney is county attorney and district attorneys are basically the same thing. City attorneys are the ones who handle cases representing the city um, for traffic tickets and stuff. Okay. And the the district attorney, the county attorney, the city attorney, they're all like the head honchos dictating how prosecutors do their job at their level, right? Yes. And the prosecutors work for them? Yes. Okay. So when they say the district attorney's office, that's that's the prosecutor's office. Yes. Cool, 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 cool. I am with you. Continue. So here in Bear County, we elect our district attorney. Um, right now, it's Joe Gonzalez, and he serves in his position until 2022, at which point he will run for office again. I am imagining if he chooses not to, then we'll have two new people on the ballot, at least at the minimum, maybe more. But every time a district attorney comes in, they change the policies of the office. <laughs> so really, for from the purposes of keeping things straight and, you know, as defense attorneys, knowing how the office functions, every time there's a new district attorney, every time a new one gets elected, we have to learn an entirely new system because they change. So they change, they come in with this report. Almost everyone, when they, when they beat the previous district attorney, it's because they're saying, I'm going to do things so different, right? They don't run on the same platform. <laughs> Otherwise, why wouldn't you just keep the current guy, right? <laughs> so they, they, they come in and they say they're going to change all these things. And then they go in and they change things because they think that they have a better idea. And sometimes it's not a better idea. Sometimes it is. But as defense attorneys, we have to be able to adapt every time a new district attorney comes in because it's a, it's a complete change in how the office is being run. That seems very, it seems like a lot to sort of handle every, what do you, do you say four years? That seems like a lot to handle. Yes. So whenever. Well, Susan Reed held her position for a long time. She was a, the, the district attorney. I think it was, she came in in either 96 or 98. So she was um, the district attorney for a long time. And I'm going to double check that date. But um, she was a district attorney for a long time before Nico beat her. Right. Um, and so there was consistency in that office for a long, long time. And I think that defense attorneys got used to that consistency. And then when Nico came in, he really shook things up, right? Um, and he made sweeping changes because you also, when every time you're dealing with a new district attorney, you're also dealing with new bosses in the office themselves because they bring in their own people. They don't, I think Nico kept one or two people from Susan Reed's administration as his division chiefs. Um, and Joe, I don't think he kept anyone. I think he replaced everyone in Nico's administration. At least right now, I don't think there's anyone in his administration right this second who is in Nico's administration as chief of the different divisions. And when I say different divisions, I mean there's a misdemeanor chief, there's a felony chief, there's a special crimes chief, there is an intake division, which is where they decide whether or not they're going to charge people with the cases. There is family violence has its own division. So there's all these different divisions. Juvenile has its own division. Um, and those chiefs are. Um, they're, they're, they're the people that Joe goes to or that Nico went to, the district attorney goes to, 
to, and trust to run those divisions because obviously the district attorney, I mean, there's over 200 prosecutors in that office right now. Um, so it would be very oh, difficult. It is a lot of prosecutors. So it'd be very difficult for Joe to know what every single one of his prosecutors is doing at all times. Right. Um, and yet every single one of those prosecutors represent him. It's his office. Anytime any one of his prosecutors do a single thing, it's on behalf of him. So, you know, it's a lot of responsibility. So he has to have people in those positions that he trusts to, you know, represent him the way that he would want to be represented. And then those people are responsible for making sure that the attorneys assigned to them in their divisions are representing Joe the way that he would want to be represented. So it is, it's a lot, it's a bureaucracy, you know, (laughs) it is. um, But every time we get a new district attorney, we get new heads of the departments. And so the new heads all have different styles and different, different ways of doing things that each, um, that the prosecutors who still work in that office, because they don't replace every single prosecutor, that would be crazy. Can you imagine replacing 200 prosecutors every time we got a new district attorney? Most prosecutors stay and they, they continue to work because, you know, they're, they continue to work under each administration. Some have been there for 30 years, you know, but those prosecutors also have to learn every time they get a new district attorney. OK, what is my expectations from my boss now? Because things have changed. So it's also, it's difficult for criminal defense attorneys, but I also think it can be difficult for prosecutors. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds wild. Like, like to, to put all of this work into like, listen, y'all as my bosses, I love you. I adore you. I do put a lot of work into figuring out what you guys want. And so like to have to do that again for like, I guess a lot of people change bosses, like, regularly. But, like, that just, it sounds stressful. It sounds stressful is what I'm saying. I'm stressed. And it is. It is a stressful time. I mean, I know a lot of prosecutors get stressed every time there's an administration change because everyone gets re-interviewed for their jobs. There's no guarantee that the prosecutor is going to keep you. The new district attorney is even going to keep you. Um, Ooh, you know, he did, you know, when Joe took over, he did not keep several people. He did not offer them positions in his administration. And if you think about it, it's kind of an interesting dynamic because he was a criminal defense attorney before he became the district attorney. So he had to work with these prosecutors. So I'm sure there were prosecutors that he did not respect how they did their jobs based on how he interacted with them as criminal defense attorneys. And, you know, so it's prosecutors can't predict who the next district attorney might be that might become their boss. So I think a lot of them do keep that in mind in their interactions with defense attorneys because twice now, Nicola Hood and and Joe Gonzalez, these were were defense attorneys that prosecutors had been interacting with for years. And all of a sudden now that that person is their boss and they had to go back and think, how were my interactions with him? Was I respectful to him at all times kind of thing? And if you weren't, and there are prosecutors that weren't, but they're no longer with that office, right? Um, you know, so it, it's something that prosecutors have to keep in mind as well. And it, it can be very nerve wracking because sometimes you can get very frustrated as a prosecutor. You can get very frustrated with defense attorneys. You know, it goes both ways. We may get very frustrated with prosecutors, but prosecutors also get very frustrated with defense attorneys and sometimes for legitimate reasons. So, you know, it, it can be nerve wracking when you see somebody that you may have had conflicts with in the past, all of a sudden running for the office of being your boss. I'm sure that that doesn't feel good for some of those prosecutors. Mm-hmm. Okay. So so the district attorney is sort of the head honcho of deciding how crimes are going to be handled on the legal end. 
He sets policies for his office, right? So, I mean, I, I think the end result is that's kind of how it goes. A lot of discretion is given to prosecutors that work for him. He's just trusting that they're going to do the right thing. Um, but he does set some general policies. For example, Joe Gonzalez did create a declination policy, and a declination policy means they're just going to reject the case. They're not going to they're not going to prosecute it at all. And that declination policy um, is primarily around marijuana. So, you know, officers would bring in possession of marijuana cases with no other cases and the prosecutors refuse to file it and the person gets to go free. Um, that created some conflict, obviously, between the police officers and the prosecutor's office that they're still dealing with today. But it is, some, it is a policy that he set for his office where he would just said, we are not prosecuting possession of marijuana offenses, provided they are less than one ounce, which most of them tend to be, you're either going to have a really ton, a lot, a lot of marijuana, or you're going to have less than an ounce. There's not a lot of in-betweens. Um, <laughs> so, you know, so most of the possession of marijuana that come in, you know, they've got a joint, right? Um, and that's less than an ounce. So that just doesn't get filed at all. The person is free to go at the magistrate's office because they won't file it. Now, if it's in a drug-free zone, meaning that they've, um, Drug-free zones in Texas are, you know, legislatively determined, and they include parks and schools, um, and you know, any kind of facilities that are used by children, basically. And those are considered drug-free zones. And if you're within a certain distance of a drug-free zone, and you're in possession of marijuana, that elevates the crime. So they don't reject drug-free zone cases, um, but you know, they take those a little bit more seriously. Um, and then if it's over an ounce, they'll, they'll file it. But if it's, if it's less than an ounce and there's no other reason not to file it and they don't come in with any other offenses, like so a lot of times people will come in with a, an evading arrest and a possession of marijuana. Um, they'll file the evading arrest, but they you know reject the possession of marijuana. So they, they've only got the one case. And that's something that Joe Gonzalez's office decided. He decided it very early on in his administration. Um, and so, you know, it's definitely changed what gets prosecuted and how we prosecute it here. Because now possession, possession of marijuana cases used to be a pretty significant part of the workload. Um, there were a lot of possession of marijuana cases. And now there's basically almost none. And the ones that there are, they're the more serious type of possession of marijuanas. Um, and so that's kind of, that, that has changed how criminal justice is pursued a little bit in this, in this, in Bear County. Um, but I think it also has created an interesting situation where now cops know that they're not going to get charged with possession of marijuana before that was enough, right? Like they'll charge him with possession of marijuana. I don't need to look for any other crime. I've got possession of marijuana. And now they're doing a little bit deeper investigation when they find marijuana to see if there's something else they can charge them with. So we're seeing a lot of other kinds of crimes come in that might be related to um, possessing marijuana, but isn't it itself. So we're seeing, um, officers having done a more thorough investigation, coming up with other offenses to be able to charge somebody with. So the police are like actively looking for something to charge these people with? Well, they know the possession of marijuana that it's not even worth their time, right? They know it's not going to get filed. And if that's all they have on the person, then why even bring him down? Right. It's just, mm -hmm. it's, it's a waste of his time. So Norm, like I said before, they wouldn't go any further. They would just be like possession of marijuana, got him. He's arrested, take him down. Right. Um, and now they know that's not going to be enough to keep them. So I think that they're just continuing their investigation because they know that that's not going to be enough. So it's not that these people hadn't been committing other crimes in addition to possessing marijuana. It's just that officers didn't dig further to find out what those crimes were before mm, okay. 
well, before the declination policy. Okay, that makes sense. So I feel like just as many people are still being arrested with with marijuana on them, but they're all charged with different other things. <laughs> mm, okay, okay. The context of prosecutors, though, um, since they are elected officials, they're able to bring a little bit of their own agenda, I think is kind of the point that we're trying to make here, is that they're bringing a little bit of their own agenda into how they run the district attorney's office. Because you can do a, you can make a lot of change um, for the criminal justice system as a district attorney. Um, you know, the certain stances that you have on particular crimes or how crimes are handled, like that affects a lot of people. And marijuana is just one uh, or like, you know, uh, the small amount of marijuana is just one little example of that, of how like when he when um, uh, Joe Gonzalez came into the district attorney's office as the district attorney, he was able to make a policy change like that within his department. Of course, like, you know, that's just for this county. And, it, you know, like she said, there's certain situations where that um, declination policy maybe doesn't apply. Um, but, but yeah, so that's also why um, when the district attorney changes is it's probably stressful for prosecutors because there's all these policies that they have to learn now and their policies change all the time. And so like, you know, even from day to day, like even during um, the coronavirus, like there's been a lot of policy changes within the district attorney's office. And one day you might have like a deal worked out or whatever, or think that maybe you can ask for a certain deal. And then when you ask for it, you find out that they've changed their policy on it. And it gets a little exhausting for us, but also I'm sure it's exhausting for them because they have to keep up with all of that um, and how how to do things or else they might get in trouble if they don't do it uh, according to policy. Mm-hmm. Right. So the district attorney, um, his responsibilities are actually covered um, in the Code of Criminal Procedure, Chapter 2, Article 2.01, where it says duties of district attorneys. And I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. It's not real lengthy. It's, Thank you. Know, you. It's, it's a paragraph. But Too much. it's... It's basically that he's going to represent the state in all criminal cases, in the district courts, and in appeals therefrom. And he also handles county courts when there is no county attorney as well. So in our case, our district attorney in Bear County handles both district courts and county courts. Mm, okay. The difference between district and county attorneys, um, they're basically the same, except the legislature has determined, in, you know, they, they put in the government code that there's certain counties that get district attorneys. You're, they're required to have district attorneys. Those counties can choose to have both a county attorney and a district attorney. And in those counties where there's both, the county attorney handles misdemeanor cases and the district attorney handles felony cases. Bear County just has the one, just have the district attorney. So in, in Bear County, the district attorney handles both the felonies and the misdemeanors. And then in the counties that don't have district attorneys legislatively required, those counties have county attorneys. And if those county attorneys don't have a district attorney, then the county attorneys handle the felonies. So who the who the elected official is that's in charge of something specific will change based on what county you're in. Sure, 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 sure. And I'm, and I'm sure that determination is at least partially based on size and resources and, and, and stuff. Yes. Most of the big counties are, or all of the big counties are required to have district attorneys. Okay, doke. Um, and then the, you know, the duties of a district attorney, you know, I'm not going to go into it in any, you know, detail. There's a paragraph on what his duties are, but primarily he represents the state in all criminal cases. 
um, in district courts and in misdemeanor um, courts and county courts as well. If, if, you know, depending on everything I just explained about where they come from. Okay. So we've, we've talked a lot about the district attorney and how he's a big fancy boss or she elected official, all stressful and stuff. Um, and it's, it's great stuff. Love knowing what these people that I vote for actually do. Um, what about the rest of them? You know, those, those 200 other people that you actually interact with every day, the prosecutors. What about, what about the prosecutors? So something else in the code of the duties of district attorneys um, that is, is important is in the code itself, and it's in multiple places, it's not just in the code, but in the code itself, it says, it shall be the primary duty of all prosecuting attorneys, including any special prosecutors, not to convict, but to see that justice is done. So they are legislatively defining that a prosecutor's job is to see that justice is done. Now, what does that mean? Eh, you know, eye of the beholder, right? <laughs> sure. Eye of the eye of the district attorney. Um, well, no, I mean sometimes it's not the eye of the district attorney because they've gotten in trouble with the the board of ethics for violating that. Ooh, yeah. What is this? What is this board? <laughs> so there is a there is a grievance board and a and the the board the, the Texas bar um, and the court of criminal appeals the court of appeals they have all of these um, ways for you to report an attorney you think is not doing their job properly. And if you can tell on attorneys, you can tell on attorneys. Absolutely. It's a very important role that these, um, these oversight boards have is, you know, attorneys need to be told on if they're doing something they shouldn't be doing. And a lot of it has to do with violating the rules of disciplinary, the Texas rules of disciplinary conduct. And so that, and it has happened to prosecutors. There's been a lot of it in the news um, lately with prosecutors violating this dictate to see the justice is done. It's been a, a learning lesson. It, a lot of the, a lot of the people in the news are prosecutors not doing things today, but like prosecutors doing things before a lot of the rules change, you know, Michael Morton. Um, if anyone's not familiar with Michael Morton, he made significant because of his case, there were significant changes to how prosecutors had to do their jobs in the state of Texas, you know, you don't want to be that case that you learn from and then it changes the law because Michael Morton spent a lot of time in prison for a crime he did not commit. He was he was exonerated. He was actually innocent of the crime. And it wasn't just the prosecutors who messed up there. You know, the sheriff did some pretty bad stuff, too. Um, but there was a lot of things that went wrong to let to lead to him ending up serving a significant amount of time in prison for something he never did. And there was all kinds of evidence pointing that direction. There was mitigating evidence. There was um, exculpatory evidence that was hidden from the defense team. And exculpatory. Um, exculpatory means um, it's evidence that you're innocent of the crime. Sure, sure. Exonerating, sort of. Yes. Yeah, we call it exculpatory, and you'll hear us say that term more than once. So good to define it. All right. Sure. Um, no reason to use the normal words. It's fine. Yeah. So because of that. He, he changed the guidelines for prosecutors a lot. And we have what's called the Michael Morton Act now, which has to do with what evidence the prosecutors have to turn over to the defense attorneys. And it's basically everything, you know, there's not much that they can keep to themselves anymore. Work product, which is stuff that they, that they like their specific thoughts about the case. They don't have to turn that over. 
but pretty much everything else that they they have to turn over now, thanks to that case and thanks to the you know, passage of a law because of that case. But it's terrible that something like that has to happen for us to make those kinds of changes. But historically, a lot of prosecutors would make the judgment that uh, it wasn't important to the case. It, it didn't prove anything. They would just make that judgment call and they don't get to do that anymore. So positive changes. But the justice is done, you know, thing is, is, is a mantra. Prosecutors will say it a lot to us when we're asking for certain results, <laughs> um, you know, they'll be like, but that's not seeing justice is done if I do that. And, you know, sometimes what we're asking for would not be seeing justice is done, but that's not our job. Our job isn't to see that justice is done. Our job is to, you know, advocate for our clients. We have two completely different jobs, right? Um, their job is not to get the conviction and our job is to get the dismissal. <laughs> so, you know, mm. it's kind of, uh, right, Court? Well, I mean, the goal of the job is to get the dismissal, but the job is to effectively represent your client. And sometimes right. doing that uh, is going to f- upset the prosecutors. And sometimes them seeking justice is going to upset us. <laughs> right. <laughs> Because like you said, justice can be in the eye of the beholder or somebody said that. Maybe it was me. That was you. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and so like we look at a case and we're like, it's not justice to prosecute this case. And then they look at the case and they have a completely different opinion, you know, and that's that's fair because they're coming at it from a different angle too. remember they represent the state. They don't represent our client. Our client is usually just like a bunch of words on a piece of paper to them. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> So what I've just to summarize what I've got so far, you know, um, prosecutors are prosecutors are in charge of representing the interests of the state at whatever level they're working at. And there's a district attorney who's elected every four years or so who sort of implements policy changes to affect change in the way that criminal justice is sought after um and that that is the sort of job of a prosecutor is to seek justice which is not the same as seeking a conviction correct you have it all that was a great summary hey, of, yeah. of what i said using a thousand words you said it in 20 who, 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 who. <laughs> yes okay so that just leaves me with one question so so me as a citizen what is my relationship with with one of the one of the legion of prosecutors, but also with a district attorney? Like, what when what interaction do I have as a defendant? What interaction do I have with as a person with no stake, with no active stake in the criminal justice system? So. Even if you never interact with a prosecutor, everyone has an interest in how a prosecutor or a district attorney does their job because, um, okay, so everyone has an interest, whether whether anyone actually has, oh, geez, Louise, I, I don't say anything this whole podcast, and then, then, like, the second I am actually saying something, I can't even form words. Okay, sorry. Okay, so... Um, whether or not you ever have an interaction with a prosecutor or the criminal justice system, you have a stake in how they do their job and whether or not they're truly seeking justice and not convictions because um, 
Martin Luther King Jr. said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So if any in any case injustice happens, that's a threat to justice everywhere. And that you might think it doesn't affect you because you have no plans to interact with the criminal justice system, but I mean Which I do not. Yeah, but I mean like in everyday life it's so easy to interact with the criminal justice system because I mean police are, you know, monitoring the streets at every corner. I mean, you have interactions with police op the possibility of you never interacting with the police officer is like so slim. You're probably in your lifetime going to interact with the police officer and that's interacting with the justice system. And that's the first start for some people sometimes. And so if prosecutors allow injustice, either that happens in the cases because of something a police officer did or something like that, that's going to affect every case after that. And before that, you know, it just, it, Everything that they do is a precedent for what is to come and how prosecutors treat cases and how they seek that justice affects everyone because it affects, you know, your interactions with police officers and the like. And to follow up on something Courtney said to just add to it, many of our clients never intended to have interaction with the criminal justice system. Um, you know, it, it happens in ways that you can't even imagine would happen to you, but it does. And so I think you just, you never know. And the more we let the government get away with not seeking justice, the more likely it is to happen to you. And what sort of stands out to me there is that, you know, it's, it's not, it's not necessarily seeking justice in the, in the case of, a crime, though that's the way that a lot of people think about it, but it's also seeking justice in cases in which maybe the system has failed you. I mean, the system fails a lot of people, but that's that's a different topic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Is. <laughs> yeah, and and we haven't even like we're tip of the iceberg. Like this is the rules that they have to follow and all of the things that they have to do. But we haven't even like talked about caseloads. Like prosecutors have significantly more cases that they have to figure out if they're going to proceed on than defense attorneys do. We represent people in fewer cases and the state represents the state and the prosecutors represent the state. In. So their caseloads are significant. Um, we have this thing we like to say about, you know, the overarching arm of the government and its unlimited resources, right? It's something that uh, I, you've heard me say before. You know? It's something I say. Yes, yes I have. Um, and uh, yes, and it's, and it's true to the sense that if they wanted to, they can throw everything at one case. And that's why it's true. But practically speaking, they don't have that kind of time to do it at every single case. So they have to pick their cases that they're going to do that on. Mm -hmm. um, so they are, they are very much overloaded with work. Um, there are not enough of them to diligently pursue every single case that they have on their docket. They have to weigh the cases. They have to look and go, okay, this case, I'm going to throw this one and try and give them an off, a lowball offer and see if they'll take it just to get off my docket because it's not very serious. And then this one, I'll, I'm, this one I, makes me feel things. I want, I want justice for the victim in this case. So I'm going to put this one on my stack of, I'm going to be a hard ass on. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and they had, so they have this, this thing that they're doing when they're analyzing their cases, it's case analysis, right? 
Um, and not every prosecutor necessarily does it that way, but they all have their way of determining which cases um, they should throw more resources at than others. And a lot of times that's actually determined by defense attorneys. So this is why our job can be important as well, because, you know, say they throw a lowball offer at us because the case isn't very good. And we're like, well, this is a crap case. I'm not going to take this. And now the state is forced to decide, do they want to dismiss the case or do they want to go to trial? And so that that forces them to take additional time with the case than, than they would normally have. Um, so there is kind of this um, symbi- symbiosis between defense attorneys and prosecutors on on cases. Sometimes the prosecutor thinks the case isn't that important, but then the defense attorney makes the case really important to them kind of thing. So. Mm-hmm. I, it doesn't really feel like symbiosis to me. It's because you're, because <laughs> you're like, like there's, it's a, it's a balance to the universe, but it's not necessarily a balance for y'all. <laughs> well, um, it's a, it's a balance to justice. I mean, like the scales of justice, literally, like we're just trying to keep everything balanced. And so like, you know, when and and there is a balance to it because like we represent um different issues, different sides of every case, right? I mean, like we obviously are representing the defendant. Um the state is representing the interests of either the complaining witness, I mean the state in general, obviously, but there might be a complaining witness involved, there might be you know, just like a, a policy involved that they're trying to like keep, you know, maybe we're attacking some sort of policy within the defense or something like that. So like our goals are competing at all times, but the ultimate goal is, you know, that justice is done. It's just that's competing because sometimes we don't agree on what justice looks like in a particular case. And it could be because the particular case that prosecutor feels a certain way about it. You know, maybe it's in their, maybe it's in the stack of their cases that they really, really, really care about. Right. And, you know, we obviously are going to care about our client and what happens to them. So we're going to butt heads a little bit, but um, good defense attorneys make good prosecutors because the more we push to represent our clients, to make sure everything is done properly, to make sure that um, our client is getting a fair shake. Us doing that makes their job a lot harder, which like is not great for them personally, but it's great for them in the bigger scheme of things. Because then they can be kind of rushed assured, I guess morally, that like, Nothing unjust is happening because as as they're fighting us and we're fighting them, of course, like figuratively, um, <laughs> not physically. They are too good out in the courtroom. Round <laughs> fighting each other. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine if it was just like, all right, round one. <laughs> um, I would lose everything. I am not good, like with my fist. Yeah. Well, what if, what if, like, Stacey, what if it was like you had to do a round of Smash Bros for justice? Like, <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe I'd win. <laughs> we'll, we'll go do some Call of Duty and I'll destroy them. <laughs> anyway, so us making their job harder means that they're, you know, crossing their T's, dotting their I's. Um, and so there's less of a chance, typically, that, um, the defendant is going to be wronged in some way. And I know that most people's priority, of course, is not thinking that, like, is the defendant going to be wronged? 
But um, like we said in the beginning, like everyone needs to care about what happens to people in the justice system because it does affect you. Um, And so you want to make sure every case is being handled correctly. And by making the prosecutor's job hard, we not always ensure, but at least we make it more possible for um, those injustices to not happen. That was a weird way to phrase that last few words, but um, <laughs> what you got there? But That's I got but, <laughs> fix them how you want, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> but even when we're making their job hard, we understand that we're making their job hard, and we want them in some cases. Well, not in some cases. In all cases, we want them to do do their job really well and correctly mm-hmm. because that's how justice gets served. And sometimes, unfortunately for our clients, the prosecutors doing their job correctly and well does not end up well for them. But that's where we come in, you know, to make it less detrimental to the client if we can. But yeah, so even when we're making the prosecutor's job hard, and I guess this is kind of like our personal apology to prosecutors that we've interacted with when we make your <laughs> life hard, we do it, you know, because number one, because our first priority is representing our client, but we do it number two because, um, you know, us making your job hard is kind of our job. And we do it because we want, we're rooting in, well, we're not rooting for you, but no. you know, we're rooting for the justice system to 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 work properly. And one of the ways it works properly is prosecutors doing their job correctly. Um, so the system works correctly if people work correctly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's kind of what my words are saying. But it's like my brain is like I feel like I'm going in a loop, and I know I'm going in a loop. But I mean, like. I, I, I guess I'm saying, like, you know, don't take it personally when, like, we get annoying about things. Just know that, like, we're doing it to make the system better. Right. Yeah. And, you know, our job is to hold the state accountable. That is our job. And we represent our clients when we hold the state accountable, right? I mean, our job is also to get what our clients want us to get them if we can, <laughs> Because they're, they're our clients. They're our first priority. But part of that is holding the state accountable. And I know that sometimes when we're holding them accountable, it may feel like we're being pains in the ass, like Courtney said. Because you are. But, but, but lovingly. Not always. Sometimes we're less pains in the ass. Sometimes we're just a dull age. Sometimes they agree with us, right? If they just agree with us, we'll never be pains in the ass, but then they wouldn't be doing their job. (laughs) Sometimes we're painless, and sometimes we're just like a dull ache in their side. (laughs) But we always cause them pain. Honestly, sometimes like we bring something to them and they're like, yeah, you're 100% right. And we're like, yay. And then, but most of the time they're doing their job, right? Like they're looking at it from a different perspective, which is not our perspective. And, you know, they see something different than we do. And that's what a jury's job, that's what a jury's for, is when two sides can't completely agree on something, the jury comes in and says, which side wins, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. I didn't really think about it like that, but that makes actually a lot of sense. 
don't know if I like it. It feels weird, but. <laughs> well, I mean, it's both sides. Okay, so if we're agreeing on something, if we're agreeing with the state on something, it's either going to resolve a couple of different ways. One way is the state's just going to dismiss it because they agree that it should be dismissed, right? Another way that it is that, that we're going to agree that they can prove their case and we're going to get the best plea deal that we can for our client and the client's going to take an offer, right? Okay. That That's another way we're agreeing that, you know, so, so there's ways that we do come to agreement, but when we can't come to an agreement on how the case should resolve, that's what a trial is for. Sure. Yeah. Like, like that makes sense. There's just something about this image of like two kids being like, no, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. And then going, mom, mom. It's not, <laughs> the thing is, is that's not, that's not untrue. <laughs> finally my metaphor works yes you're not wrong (laughs) that's not inaccurate is what we're saying that's actually Uh pretty close to how it feels like (laughs) (laughs) except in this case mom is a bunch of people over the age of 18 who are required to be there And who have not been deselected from jury service. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no. And yeah. Another like particularly hard thing I think for prosecutors is that, you know, when a case gets dismissed, that feels like a hundred percent win for us. Right. Like we're like, yes, we got the client, the roles all they want. But for the prosecutors, even if justice was done, which if the case gets dismissed, then justice was done, you know, like it, obviously something happened where it couldn't proceed but you know for them they might have that complaining witness that doesn't feel like justice was done because they didn't get you know their day in court or something like that so they have these other pressures of you know holding on to these cases making sure these cases proceed that kind of thing that we don't necessarily have Uh so them having to deal with complaining witnesses or you know other people, their bosses. Yeah, their bosses. Like they have other pressures that, I mean, maybe we have like similar kind of pressures, but not really. They have to like, if they dismiss that case, they're the one that has to make that call to the victim to tell them. And they're not always going to be, they're not always going to be understanding about it. I mean, sometimes the, you know, the complaining witness in is like on the defensive side sometimes. And so they're not surprised by that or we've already told them. But yeah, so the, I mean, the prosecutors, they're, they're there to try and protect the community and reform people that commit crimes against the community. And so they have a special kind of job. And when they feel like they're unable to do that job, like people get mad at them and think that like justice wasn't served. And, you know, in, in big in big cases in the news, too, if, like, there's a mistrial or if there's a not guilty or if there's a dismissal, like, people are wondering, what did the prosecution do wrong? And usually, they mean, they didn't necessarily do anything wrong. It's just, you know, justice didn't look the way that the society wanted it to look. Mm. Or, like, oh, yeah, you know, lots of things can happen, you know, that are unforeseen to a case. Mm-hmm. You know, witnesses can change their stories and the jury just believes the new story that happens. Right. Um, you know, the prosecutors, when they go to trial, they, I, I, I have very few prosecutors that I've went against or have seen try cases where they didn't believe in their heart of hearts that they could prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt. 
And I know that that is when they're doing trial evaluation, I know that that's a big part of what they're looking at is, can I prove this beyond a reasonable doubt to a jury, right? Um, and if they feel like they can't prove it, that's when they dismiss it, even though maybe they think it actually happened. They know they can't prove it, right? So they're not going to waste the court's time. They're not going to waste anyone's time with the, with a case they can't prove. And then in cases where they, um, they, they can prove it, things can go wrong in trial sometimes that they just never foresaw and that could cause them to lose cases. So then again, they're feeling like justice wasn't done because somebody got away with something they believe in their heart or hearts happened, but a lot of times not their fault. No, it, it can be very difficult emotionally on them mm-hmm. to have to do those kinds of things, right? It, it definitely has an emotional toll on prosecutors to be prosecutors when they are beholden to, like Courtney was talking about with the, the potential victims in cases, right? Where, you know, they have to go back to a victim and explain why they got that not guilty and explain, you know, that they did, they fought as hard as they could, but a jury just didn't see it that way. Or there was some loophole in the law that was used by the defense team. And when I say loophole in the law, I'm not talking about loophole. I'm saying the law is written a certain way to allow for certain defenses. And a jury believed in that defense, that defense existed. You know, just because a defense exists doesn't mean a prosecutor shouldn't try the case, right? So, you know, it, it can be a very emotionally taxing job. And I know we are very emotional sometimes when things happen with our clients And I know that they are very emotional as well um, because we're all very passionate about what we're doing. And yeah, I can tell. (laughs) Yeah. And another thing that they have to either think about or, I mean, I hopefully they never experience, but is when they put people away either for life or death or for a long period of time. And then it's later found out that that person was innocent. Like they have to live with that. They have to live with their role in that. And, um, you know, sometimes it's, I mean, sometimes it's their fault, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's a change in science, you know, new science is available or science that we thought was good is, you know, is bad. Um, You know, for example, like when DNA and stuff came out, like, I mean, this is old and I don't know if these prosecutors actually really cared, but, you know, a lot of people (laughs) were found, you know, innocent through DNA and they still are today. But then like, you know, there's certain sciences like, you know, like science, um, like arson science has changed that could potentially mean that innocent people were placed in jail and the science has changed and they're no longer, I mean, and, and they've been innocent this whole time. And those prosecutors have to live with their role in that. And I mean, you see it on these shows sometimes. Where they, I mean, they get rightfully defensive, right? Because like people are asking them, like, why did you put this innocent man away? But I mean, innocent people can look guilty. And sometimes those prosecutors didn't have the information that they had now, you know, in the case of science changing or, you know, they, I mean, unfortunately, like we've talked about, they weren't being super ethical and now they have to live with the consequences of, you know, doing a loophole they shouldn't have done or something like that. And when it comes to like not being super ethical, I don't think a single prosecutor out there failed to be ethical, did something unethical because they didn't, because they knew the person was innocent, right? They believed in this person's guilt. Yes, they may be misguided and gotten television, but they believed that this person was 100% guilty. So ends justified the means. It didn't matter what they had to do to get that conviction because the only way they were going to get justice was to get that conviction because that person is guilty, right? Um, and that, And it's a slippery slope. You know, they didn't probably didn't start out with violating all of the horrible rules of ethics. It probably started out with something small to get a conviction. Um, 
And, and that's why the rules of ethics are, are what they are today and why they're so important. And it's important that, you know, Courtney and I, you know, sometimes we do remind prosecutors about the rules because we don't want people to go down that slippery slope because it is one of these things where like you start, the slippery slope is a term for a reason. You start doing something that doesn't seem real important to you, but it feels a little bit wrong, but you do it anyway. And then it makes it easier next time that you want to do something that feels a little bit wrong and on and on. So I think a lot of the prosecutors that have gotten in trouble over the years for, for significant violations, they didn't start out with a significant violation, you know? Um, And they just, they just felt like that's what they had to do to get justice. And, um, and it's just unfortunate, you know, we have to play within the rules and there's a reason these rules are so exhaustive and it's to protect everyone. You know, we're protecting everyone with these rules, not just not just the guilty or the innocent. Okay, and that I'm going to say that that is a good note to end on. I'm sure that I don't know everything that there is to know about prosecutors because it sounds like there's a lot. Um, but I think that this is a good place to start. You know, we we know that they have complex jobs and large caseloads and elected officials as their bosses that may or may not be people that they've fought against in the past, you know, all very stressful. Um, but but I think I have a good idea of what a prosecutor is, what they do, um, and how you guys, you know what? No, I, I don't really know how you guys feel about them. So why don't, why don't we do final thoughts real quick? Um, and you know what? We'll switch it up this week. Courtney, why don't you go first? Tell me your final thoughts. All right. Final thoughts. Um, prosecutors, I respect them. I respect the job that they do. Their job is important. They have a lot on their shoulders and they have a lot of ethical and moral considerations. Um, that maybe the defense bar doesn't always have to think about and ethical considerations that we don't actually don't apply to us. So their job is hard and um, we make it harder. So sorry for that. But um, also, but like, not sorry. Too. Yeah. Like, sorry, not sorry. Like, sorry, personally, <laughs> but like, not sorry, professionally or professionally, not, pro- I don't know. You know what I mean? Um <laughs> We're going to continue to do our job and we understand the prosecutors are going to continue to do their job. Um, And we just hope that in the end, um, the scales of justice are balanced. Um, And yeah. (laughs) A great wrap up to a a very good last thought. Thank you. (laughs) And yeah. yeah. (laughs) All right. Any thoughts from you, Stacey? Sure. Um, you know, I, when we when we were doing this episode on prosecutors, it, it can be a, a touchy episode for defense attorneys, right? It can be something where we might struggle because on a specific given day, maybe we got really mad at a prosecutor. And so um, sometimes we're not the most, um, what's the right word for it, <laughs> forgiving of prosecutors <laughs> when, when they do something that we just are so frustrated with, like we get, you know. Um, because because at the end of the day, we're trying to help our clients. And sometimes maybe our clients are guilty by the letter of the law, but doing like convicting them of something or doing whatever it is the state's trying to do isn't justice. And I know that their definition of justice and our definition of justice are oftentimes not the same. Um, but like for us, like sometimes we're just like, there's no justice in this, right? 
And so, um, you know, doing this episode was one of the, I wanted to do it because I wanted prosecutors to know that I respect what they do and that I, um, I understand their job, even when I get frustrated with them and they get frustrated with me. Um, I hope that they understand that I also have a job to do that is very, very different from their job. And I just wanted them to know that I know what their job is. I understand it. I understand how hard it can be. I understand how overworked you are. Um, and, you know, I hope you can respect also what we do. So that that was part of the motivation for this episode was just to, you know, in addition to educating people about prosecutors, because we're not trying to make prosecutors out to be the bad guys. Right. Um but, you know, I just I want I want people to know that we don't we don't hate prosecutors. In fact, we like most of them. We're friends with a lot of them. Um, you know, when you see people all the time, like we, we see prosecutors and defense attorneys are constantly together, you're going to develop friendships among them. And so, you know, the job the, the job of prosecutor is difficult. We acknowledge that we respect that and we're going to keep fighting. <laughs> yeah, very fair. OK. I believe that that is going to do it for us. Um, another wonderful episode full of content that I get to edit. Um, <laughs> in the meantime, thank you guys so much for listening to Plead the Sixth. Um, feel free to check us out on Facebook and Twitter at Kraus Daily Law, as well as our website, KrausDailyLaw.com, where we will be posting this episode and all of our other lovely episodes. And you can comment and talk to other listeners. And we're always happy to answer questions wherever you would like to post them, um, preferably on our actual official channels. I can't, I can't promise that if you just post a question for us some random place that we'll find it, but we'll certainly try. Um, please, please, please join us next time when we are going to be talking about the presumption of innocence. And I so look forward to figuring out what the heck that means. Um, but until then, keep pleading the sixth.